Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, 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 my friends, welcome to episode 190, well, who knows, 190-something. This is Alan Averill, you are very welcome. Today's podcast is, um, it's just episode 15 of the Metal Salvage Chats. It's a pretty simple version. I thought it would be too early to unload my second part of Why Nothing Makes Sense, The Politics Of. So, to give you a little heavy metal interlude, this is uh, me and Joe from Gamma Bomb. You can go and watch our ugly heads over on YouTube as well. If you want to, just follow the link below. And we're talking about all sorts of things. Uh, Slayer, Carrie King, violence at gigs years ago. Um, did you ever huff paint or did you prefer glue? Um, all sorts of very important Irish issues from the late 80s, early 90s, all that kind of thing. It's just a heavy metal chat. What do you want? Promodial is playing tomorrow at Celestial Darkness in London. And then a one-off show on Saturday in Glasgow at a new venue called Slay. Um, I realize I don't really do enough housekeeping about the gigs that I'm playing or... Um, things that are happening with Primordial, all that kind of thing. So that's just a little bit of housekeeping there. If you're in either city, well, head on down. You will have a fine old time. And you will see, amongst other things, middle-aged men wearing pants that are too tight. I can promise you that. The show was ever sponsored by Metal Blade Records. 40 years of independent history in the crowded marketplace of heavy metal is quite something. And I'm sitting here, I can see across the room a copy of the bastard green version of the new Primordial album, which you definitely need. So go to IndieMerch.com slash Records. follow the link below, and you can use the promo code AA24. Yes, we are in the year 2024 somehow. Um, what was that song in the year 2525? Oh yeah, that's quite far away already, isn't it? Well, who knows? I mean, by the time I get to the end of this um, this life, I limp on in this lackluster fashion. Um, maybe they can implant me and I can live on in the cloud to 25, 25. Who knows? Sounds a bit like Alan Partridge there. That's what we all turn into. Um, you just become more and more Partridge-esque. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? 
Also, this uh, this week's podcast is sponsored by the band Elusive God. They are a Croatian band, um, which is pretty interesting. Croatia always struck me as a country uh, that should have more of a scene, could have more of a scene. Um, but having and I've been there a bunch of times. Beautiful country. Um, never struck me as much of a scene there. You don't get many festivals there. I've never played there. If you're listening, we need to play there. Um, and this is uh, this is gloomy, this is doomy stuff. You're going to hear it underneath this. But next Tuesday, I will put a whole song out there on the podcast for you to listen to. Um, and what you're hearing underneath is from their new release. And you're going to be hearing a few more things from them over the coming weeks. If you think this is a good idea to, uh, to promote your band, um, a captive audience, a captive army of malcontents that you are, Well, get in touch with me. All right, then, let's do this. This is Metal Salvage Volume 15. If you want to look at our ugly heads, as I said, go over to my YouTube channel. Links below. Um, Subscribe, join, all that kind of thing. Um, Here we are. A bit of Slayer, a bit of uh, Solvents. What more can you ask for? Oh. Not saying that the old train. Yes. Yo. Uh, I saw a thing saying uh, that uh, there's a couple of pubs in Dublin still doing pints for 4.30. Where? The Old Triangle and a couple other places. The Old Triangle? Fucking hell, all right. It goes uh, jingle jangle. Well, I, I mean, I saw something today that was a meme. I'm not sure if it was a meme, but it, say, it was saying that... Um, I might, might even be an ad saying that they're going to set the limit for pints that you cannot go above 13 euro in the city but we've already hit we've already hit 10 euro 60 in yep. um what merchants arch and some other pub 1060 uh no there was a in the article they said there's a couple of places in uh temple bar charging 11 euro but uh yeah and there was a couple of places out in fingless and stuff doing pints of fosters during the day for 295 <laughs> so get yourself out to fingless yeah well, I mean, there's a, there's a sentence I haven't heard since about 1988 um, or something like this, or 1989. Get yourself out to Finglas, yeah. Um, I shan't be getting myself out to Finglas in a hurry. But, uh, yeah, no, it's fucking outrageous. I mean, and the guy who runs that bar was just like, in his picture, like, and he's just like, well, if everyone else can raise their prices by 25%, why can't I? When you try doing that, when do you try charging 50 quid for a primordial t-shirt? See how you get on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, I mean, he, he's, uh, part, oddly enough, his reasoning and some of the explanation, I think it's, he even mentioned musicians. He was like, well, our musicians are charging more. I presume what he means is the people that he used to pay like 100 euro for playing in the trad session in the corner are now wanting like 150 or something. And he's thinking, really? I don't know. I just met, maybe I just you made know, that yeah. bit up. <laughs> well, you know, I suppose a lot of them as well are just saying they've got all these massive staff bills and stuff like that. Like you know, places in Temple Bar probably having to hire loads of wee children in and all that kind of crack. But anyway, I wouldn't fucking dream of paying more than like if I was drinking somewhere that it was more than a fiver for a pint, unless it was I don't know just out for a couple before ACDC or something. <laughs> I wouldn't fucking dream of it. Fuck that. Well, speaking of insane prices, I mean, we can 
we can start discussing vitamin A C D C. Uh Eva, how much did your tickets cost you? Well there were ones for ninety uh euro that were in the uh stand. So there were um and oh, then, right. so, so way back in the eaves of Crow Park. Yeah. And then the floor seat uh stand ones were hundred and forty. But they were starting at 140 at the back, right? And if, as you move towards the front of the stage, they were going up to four, five, six hundred, were they? Or weren't they? Yeah. So, pretty crazy the way this whole dynamic uh, ticket pricing costs. Like, did you see that band uh, Sleep Token? Some of their gigs in, like, Manchester were 500 quid. No. What? Wow. Because, <laughs> like, they're playing uh, the O2 in London. And all the other venues that they're playing across the UK are all, like, Five hundred thousand seaters or whatever, but um, yeah, to whatever way the dynamic ticket pricing because so many of them sold so quickly. Yeah, the remaining ones are uber expensive. Well, the th- the weird thing about Sleep Token is, and I mentioned them on a podcast, um, is that they are the biggest streaming heavy metal band of last year. Um, they're four blokes with masks on. Um, I don't know if you've listened to it. It's it's music that seems made by AI. It's like sort of emo prog tech, um, and the vocals are like this heavily treated like pop music vocals. I can see why people like it. Now I'm not saying it is that. Of course it's not, because um, I think it's too far. It's a it's a bridge too far for maybe an AI, a heavy metal learning project. But give it another eighteen months. But just from nowhere now, I don't even look at any of their videos. The videos are just objects revolving. Like, there's no weird, like, there's one thing, it looks like a little Sphinx kind of guy sitting on a little throne, and it just slowly goes around, and it's got, like, 26 million views or something. It's, yeah. I, I, I can understand why the music is popular, and what's very interesting about it is the, the, uh, is the way they're singing is, it's, the, it's a big, big difference. The singing, to me, sounds like the way pop music treats singing, you know, the super harmonized layered i'm gonna say the word drake even though i don't really know what that means but somebody told me what you imagine drake to sound like if you knew what that was like yeah. <laughs> um it's very very strange but they're, yeah they're huge so i would imagine most of the uk they must be doing two three thousand venues 500 just seems way too small for them but I'm, so I'm what is that, is that the kind of sliding scale percentage the cost is equal to the demand ticket thing that i saw online Pretty much. It just means like if it's something like that and the venue is like two thirds sold out, as you said, you know, it's like whatever is considered the more premium tickets, you know, and that might just be whatever floor standing is left, depending on the venue, you know. So which venue um, is the Because I I wouldn't be, I mean, they seem like a band that wouldn't be that far off being able to sell out Wembley Arena at this stage, which is like Wembley Arena sounds massive, but it's like what, 16,000 or 14? From what I, that was what I understood basically was that they were playing the O2 in London, which is like 16,000, and then they were playing okay. smaller venues across the country or whatever, you know. 16,000. Um, yeah, I suppose, man, it's just a whole crazy... Like, I was actually talking to Hitch from, um, you know, MCD and Dublin Metal events about yeah. the um, Anthrax Testament creator tickets, because they're pretty dear as well. They're like 90 bucks. And uh, he was saying that's actually because they're bringing a bunch of pyro with them, and it's supposed to be some sort of, like, big big show well i mean i guess what it is is each one of those bands independently 
you are going to see them for 30 something to 45 and their reasoning is well here's three bands that you'd pay 30 to 45 for uh, all stuck together so why not just make yep. three 30s 90 um and try and put them and get 5000 people I, I can sort of see the logic to it yeah, but I guess so I suppose, again, like it's going to be one of those things where they said, they probably said, we only want to do venues that are like three or 4,000 plus. Yeah. And in Ireland, all the venues are either 2,000 or 15,000, you know, so I think like, that's probably the case, you know. It's really strange because you've got the Olympia and Vicar Street sit around 14, 15, 1600, I think, maximum. And then, um, then you go up to the point which at its lowest kind of seated move back thing. Is like I think still even five six thousand. So there's no venue that takes two and a half, three, you know, which is really really strange. Hence why you saw player like do two nights in the SFX before and stuff like this. Well, yeah, um, that's why yeah. I got this jumper actually outside the SFX in two thousand to go and see Mega Dave uh, back in the day. Oh yeah, well they Defenestration were supporting them. Do you have you ever heard of them? No, no, I was probably. Um, no, I, I mean, what's I can only imagine what that sounds like, seeing as they're called defenders. So I imagine they call they sound like Fear Factory, right? No, it was kind of like cold chambery female fronted vocals from Wales or somewhere in the Midlands or whatever. Like, so it's pretty, pretty uh, ghastly mismatch. <laughs> Dude, I love a ghastly mismatch. Uh, but um, yeah, like it's weird. I, I remember. Uh, reading a thing recently where Metallica's manager was talking about the whole ticket price thing and they were saying, well, you know, same as everyone, if every, everyone else is, you know, charging more and we're not selling as many records, let's put up the price of the tickets by 30% and we'll see if anyone kind of gives out. And yeah. he said that in Sp Spain and Bulgaria and places like that, there was like immediate backlash on them. So like you can still kind of get a ticket for a Metallica show for 70 or 80 euro there, you know, whereas everywhere else it's gone up you know well i think that part of it is i mean part of it is the post pandemic scramble that the music industry has kind of been involved in but also the fact that um as you know fans of legacy bands age into middle age and have um they're not going out they're not spending money on this that, and the other it's kind of accepted now that you spend a ton on the ticket and then the merch is going to be 50 and they're all, they're all the things that you're going to spend three, four hundred euro on, on whatever that night out is that you get two, three times a year because you're you're not sinking points every Saturday, age twenty four. Young people aren't going in the same numbers to go and see live bands, so it's accepted. Like I think Pearl Jam started at what one thirty, or something like this. Um, that's yeah. it's just accepted now. Like, hey, this is how much this costs now. Um, Which is crazy because even though I well, know it's not really your kind of music, but you remember in the like around 1995, they did a tour all across the world and played a bunch of places in Ireland. Uh, and they, ha they couldn't use Ticketmaster sponsored venues, so they had to go and play like sports halls or. Who's this now? Uh, Pearl Jam. Oh, so okay. they had a yeah, they had a bust up with uh, Ticketmaster in the mid 90s for charging five dollars in fees and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's insane seeing them doing that. But I guess they're just saying we're a classic rock band now, and this yeah. is how much it would cost if you wanted to go and see. ACDC or whatever so yeah I mean that's it and it's just like the attitude is as well look you're going to drop 250 quid on your night so the ticket is going to be this cost and there's like literally if you don't want to pay it you don't go but you know that Coke Park's going to be stuffed 
with people who've been waiting 10 years to since the last ACDC gig. So, I mean, and it's not like, I mean, and it's not like it's, I think if maybe bands or, you know, I'm not, I don't really know, obviously, exactly, but whoever 18 year olds like all of a sudden went, hey, it's 125 euro. Um, there might be, they might be just like, well, get fucked kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, a ticket to go and see a pop Nicki Minaj or something, or hey, see, I pulled a modern culture reference out of the ether there. Is that 130, 140, 150? I don't know. I'd wonder. Oh, can I, I'm going to see uh, Tom Jones, Sheik, and Billy Ocean are playing uh, That's hard uh, out in Rahini. Out in Rahini. Um, and I think tickets for it are like 50, 50 euro or something. So it's just case by case, isn't it? Mm, yeah, but I mean, that's not, that's, that's hardly a. A, a modern young person's reference is it maybe 1983 or 84? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think uh, Anthrax Testament and you know Creator oh. are either really. But so I mean, it's all the things which have these huge inflated ticket prices are generally old middle-aged legacy bands for people whose kids are now 30 and you know they come into the city three four times a year. Go oh, my God, the prices! But are still willing to drop 250 quid on the show. You no, know? it's actually a bit of a fucking. Weird one, because if you think of it, actually a lot of our mates who now have kids, they probably spent the last 10 years, you know, forcing their kids to listen to SEDC and Pearl Jam, and now their kids are being like, can you get us, you know, it's only a thousand quid to bring the entire family, you know? <laughs> I hope so. That's a kind of a, that's a sort of a sweet revenge, all right, yeah. A we drink pause there, but after giving it, I don't know. I mean, I, it's only sometimes when we play in countries like somewhere in southern or eastern Europe where I'd, I'd, I'd pop into my head like, fuck, I wonder what the ticket prices are. I hope they're not fucking 28 or 26 or too big, you know, whereas that used to be something that would const be constantly in my mind 10, 15 years ago that you weren't kind of like, you know, trying to charge too much. But, I mean, your average ticket now, I think for most things, even in Germany, has gone well over 20. And, you know, they were Germans didn't really, really didn't like the fact that everything went from 18, 20, 22, 24, 26. But I was trying to explain this to a bunch of my mates in this WhatsApp group. They were asking, you know, why certain things cost. Why this exact conversation, I was there going, well, venues have put up their insurance since lockdown. Uh, why does merch cost so much? Because merch costs more to ship. It costs more to print. It costs more to press. All the, everything has just exponentially gone up 20, 30, 40%. Percent. Uh, all our flights have gone up all this that and the other crew are more expensive like literally everything that's why because i think they had, had it just under the impression that it gets just only sort of greed of bands but you know you know yourself i mean venues are now starting to bring in this merch um percentage concession in venues in europe and stuff you know just for yeah. here's a table give us 30 percent of your merch you know i remember that happened to us whenever we were supporting exodus and uh overkill and uh the venues uh, were taking a cut of all the band's merch. Yeah. And uh, Exodus and Overkill were like, what we're going to do is we're just going to pony up a grand each and just give it to the venue. And, uh, you know, instead of them taking their 20%, you know, they'll yeah. just take that as a flat fee. And we were like kind of scared shitless because we were like, we're only going to sell like six or seven T-shirts or whatever. So yeah, we can't really afford to be chipping into that, lads, I'm afraid. No, it's and it's also just a, it's just a criminal enterprise. It's like it's a, it's not like it's not, like it's not hard enough already for bands to manage to get you know from one continent to another or whatever, especially smaller bands. And you see it coming in in venues where they want 
here's the table. Like I said, here's the table. Give us 30% of your merch. And you're like, that's our profit margin. And they're just like, well, that's just the rules now. That's the rules now. Yeah. And so I was explaining this to my mates and stuff, and they were uh, kind of, you know, as aghast as you could be with those little uh, meme little faces on WhatsApp. But especially when I said, oh, well, in some countries now you've got a new artist tax on top of your tax at home if you're paying tax. But you know what I mean? So like in yeah. France, there's 21%, whatever this form is, this fucking thing, Italy. Anyway. It's not as interesting listening to me give out about this as it is maybe to listen to me give out about the new Kerry King. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's one of those awful things as well where, you know, he'd been postulating about this for like four years and probably actually thinking about that logo for four years or the name (laughs) of his band for four years. And then after four years, he's like, this is it. This is the grand reveal. Check this out. Uh, And it, it looks like a logo from... Um, you know, like sort of one of those early ni- late 99, early 2000s fonts that you saw on kind of like really, really crappy underground record labels who just went, what's the logo? Don't know, can't find it. Okay. Type font. Yeah, like, if you went to Spain and got a, the best of Sepulchre uh, CD, that would be the, the font for the Sepulchre logo, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like a, <laughs> I don't know. Like, And also, I might, how many amazing song titles Slayer have that you, you know, could, a king's reign. I don't know. There's lots of things you could have put king into. King of hell, king of this, king of, you know, many, many things. I think the, I think the fact that he wanted to call, put his name in the middle of it was just like, you know, I just I can just imagine what his living room looks like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I just I don't like Kerry King. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it also, like, it's clear when you went to see that last Slayer show that those really crap backdrops on the side, somebody went, that's it, that's the one. And you're like, oh, all the killer artwork and things you could have had from the 80s, and that's what you choose. But yeah, I mean, it's look, it's clearly also AI generated evil skull artwork, same as the new Deicide, same as the new Pestilence. I don't know if you've seen those, but this is going to start happening everywhere, you know? But the new day... I suppose the thing is, there's a whole bunch of people out there like Glenn Benton and the guy from Pestilence who just rule their their domain of what, what happens with their band. So, same as kind of Steve Harris with that Iron Maiden cover. If he says, that's what we're going to do, then that's what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, I mean... And he must have just said, listen, we're going to save a thousand dollars that we usually pay someone to do a Deicide album cover because... I just did it on AI there, and it's killer, you know. Or not killer, it's as good as it was going to look, you know. Well, I mean, he probably thinks it's killer. That's the thing, is that, yeah, I mean, you're pretty sure Kerry King deliberated over that funny little, um, you know, KK kind of like um, confectionery logo, inverted cross thing that's on the on the cover as well, you know, that somebody got probably got paid something stupid for that, but that the, yet the cover was made with AI. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, man, like, I suppose, like, you probably know a lot of people who are a lot more invested in Slayer than I would be, you know, whenever I saw them for that last show, I was pretty happy to see the back of them, really, I'd seen them enough, and, like, not that they were shit or anything like that, they were good, but, I don't know, I think anybody who really, really wanted to go and see them probably got a chance to go and see them, you know. Um, Yeah, it it doesn't feel like enough time has elapsed, but you're you're pretty sure that Somebody somewhere, there was a 
conference call and somebody just went, lads, you only have physically probably a four or five year window to do this. You can't reform when you're 58, 59, 61, 62. Realistically, I don't think. I mean, maybe, but seems unrealistic, you know. I would say, man, it was just a, a money question in the sense that if you're going to play, it was the guy who did Riot Fest or whatever, or I can't remember the name of the festival. In, uh, yeah, yeah, Riot Fest. Didn't they pay Misfits at that a million dollars or something? Yeah, so if you're going to play Misfits a million dollars, probably said the Slayer will pay you a million dollars. And, you know, they don't have to give a, a fair cut of that really to Boss Staff or Gary Holt, really. So probably be able to say to Tom, listen, we'll give you like 300,000 bucks a show. He said, okay, that sounds a lot better, really, you know. Yeah, and I only have to do like five or six a year. Fair enough. Yep. I mean, I thought, I mean, they were grand the last time. It's just like the set list was 75% dog shit. It was just like, really? This is just. I'm kind of surprised that they do as much old stuff as they do, really. In well, the sense that, like, five what songs. They do two songs from the first album and then two songs from the second album and, like, at least two songs from Rain and Blood, two songs from. What were the there wasn't two songs for the second album? I thought they played at Dawn They Sleep and um something else. What else did they play from that era? Uh Chemical Warfare. Yes. Maybe. I, I don't think they played at Dawn They Sleep. I can't remember. I just remember being uh just this endless slog of like shit songs from World Painted Blood and um God Hates Us All and all this crap. I mean King kind of songs. From about ninety four to twenty eighteen, there, there seemed to be like about ten of them. Um, I just couldn't have fucking hack it at all, like you know. Yeah, it is very disappointing. Whenever, but I suppose one thing I'd say about Slayer is at least half the set is eighty songs, and you can't really probably say that about Megadeth and you know Anthrax and stuff. A lot of those bands kind of they'll tend to just lean very heavily on one album, you know, if they're doing it, and like the. They both kind of play short sets as well. Megadeth and Anthrax is usually like an hour or whatever, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I suppose so. 65, 75 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I guess that's just, there wasn't any way I was going to be completely happy. I mean, I'm not even happy hearing Skeletons of Society and um, it's like, get out of here with this riff. Uh, so, you know, what? it's not going to please me, really. Is it? they're going to, it's not like they're going to wheel out, spill, spill the blood and... Hardening of the arteries. So, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one, right? Let me ask you this. If you were going to do a side project, would you like just say to people, there were some songs left from the last Primordial album that we didn't use, so I'm going to use those? Because, like, I suppose maybe what he's saying is, like, it's the Slayer brand of quality, is what he's saying about the songs he's doing for the Carrie King record. But then it's also kind of saying, this is going to sound like songs that weren't good enough to get on a Slayer album that you don't really like, you know? Maybe yeah, do like it. It's, it doesn't really make much sense. It's like, well, why not just do this as a new Slayer album or, you know what I mean? Or Because it does just sound like songs from the last Slayer album, just a little bit more aggressive is from what I could hear, you know? But then again, I suppose you don't have to deal with all the other people that are in Slayer. You can just take the lion's share of whatever's going on. Totally. And like, if you went to go and see the KK experience, not featuring KK Downing, like, you would assume that the set list is going to be at least 50% Slayer, if not 75% Slayer, isn't it? Yeah, certainly. And it's, but I mean, you can't, you can see them, you could see them not leaning into too much 80 Slayer for that one, you know? You could see them doing all the, all the kind of like, oh, a bit of look, they'd play Scrum, the song about rugby from, um, oh yeah, that classic. Um, 
But then, do you think, what, are they going to play a Death Angel tune or, uh, you know, a Machine Gary Head King. song? Probably, probably not. Can't see Kerry King playing Voracious Souls or something, can you? I saw uh, Queen playing uh, Smoke on the Water and Free by All Right Now, whenever they had um, oh, yeah, Paul, face, uh, Paul Rogers from uh, Free singing, yeah. Yeah, why, why play Smoke on the Water? Just I suppose because then you're kind of just being like any other requests. And do you want to do Johnny Be Good or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, I... yeah. Go on, uh, tell us, uh, tell us your opinions then on the the Carrie King song. Then or it was only one tune out, doesn't it? I didn't. I mean, I just I kind of knew exactly what it was going to be: the tone, the drums, the whatever. It, initially, I was just like, "Who the fuck is singing?" And then, um, then as soon as I read it it made sense oh this is who this is you know who are the other people in the band ball staff right ball staff um uh phil damel from violence and machine head okay. and um <clears throat> who's playing bass don't know some guy not me not you not you no, just... not you <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> it's not me no Although I wasn't I actually the, whenever i saw that it was the guy uh marco sega from death angel i was kind of like more this is not a worthy use of his time. Like he, I think that Death Angel have kind of been on a, a really good upward trend in the sense that they seem to be getting on better and have good, like, you know, figures and stuff. So I don't really know. Is this going to hurt them in the long run, him going off and doing something else? Like it, the kind of way that Slayer did for Exodus like that, you know? Hard to say, really, unless they announce big, long touring plans. I mean, it depends what Slayer does also. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see Slayer being like very, you know, just if if you're in that situation, kind of like the Misfits. Misfits are waiting for a promoter in Europe to offer them a million bucks, and they'll probably be waiting for a while yet, you know? Well, it, so. it, it, it's weird because I'm sure Hellfest or something has looked into getting the Misfits over. They they have to have. And the, a Misfits yep. headline Saturday night would be massive. I mean, if they can afford Metallica, can they not afford the fucking Misfits? I just don't think that the Misfits have the same... Like, I was, my mate Garth is intensely in the Misfits and Danzig, and I was saying that, in my opinion, Europe, like Danzig and Danzig 1 and stuff is a kind of bigger deal than the Misfits, you know? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Misfits has this, just this huge cultural cachet that, it, as much as I love Danzig, doesn't have. I mean, you know, I got something to say, blah, blah, blah. All the songs Metallica did, all the... Like for everybody in a crowd, of, if there's 60,000 people at Hellfest and he goes, I got something to say, bum, bum, that's everybody in the whole crowd going nuts instantly. Like, and there's at least eight bangers like that. Because even if you don't know what's going on, you'd be like, oh, mommy, can I kill tonight? And et cetera. <clears throat> Danzig is a different thing. I mean, Danzig is more select kind of thing. Misfits has got, it's the skull, it's the logo. It's, it's I mean, Misfits has, has long since been appropriated into just general pop culture in a way that everything else hasn't. And I think it would be perfect headliner for Hellfest. Yeah, well, the reason why they got uh, got back together is because they had a meet to sign a merchandising thing for Hot Topic or Target or something like that in the States. Like, you know, yeah. So. yeah, I mean... But, like, I don't know. I think that's it's definitely a fee thing. And maybe the Misfits are, like, the Van Halen never came to Europe ever whenever they got back together, you know? So there's some bands that are just sitting there saying, why should we go to Europe and have to pay, seven, you know, pay a big tax bill when we don't we don't have to do that we can just go and play in wyoming and yeah I, I don't know i mean i would have thought somebody i mean the missus did actually look like they were having a great time at those gigs why they wouldn't go well you know what we'll make the guts of 
you know, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's I, I still can't believe Hellfest wouldn't have ponied up the money if they're going to pony up the money for Metallica or fucking Iron Maiden. I mean, yeah. You know, if, even if number wise Misfits doesn't quite rank up to that, I think on a cultural level, um, Misfits is, you know, as I said, long since passed into the lexicon of, um, uh, you know, pop cultural icons in a in a massive way. And there's only so much more time there is before it it just won't be able to happen. You know. Yep, and that's you know, that's the kind of thing, isn't it? But the idea of that, those sort of bands like the Misfits playing in places like Madison Square Garden seemed insane until all the fans from the 80s ended up having kids and then were taking their kids and you know as i said same kind of deal like it's not as if there's children's tickets it's still a hundred bucks either way you know did you see that there's now like a festival which is run by the same coachella high voltage people it's called like no values or something festival and it's a punk rock version of the coachella high voltage thing you've seen this i think i think my brother might actually went to that his uh, husband is mad and like SoCal punk bands and all yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff, and um, yeah, there was loads of them. Uh, but also, at Snook, Snook Way in the corner was also like um, brass, and um, well, big bad religion were playing as well. I was looking and listening to a, a little guy, a guy, a podcast guy talking about it. But yeah, that's the irony. Sort of wasn't lost on there that you would have a a punk version of that with put crass stuck on the bill. Somebody's taking the piss. Out. Crass. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious. Menace are playing in Dublin, actually. Whenever we're playing in uh, the Grand Social, there was a big poster for Menace coming back to town. So hmm. I'd be curious of his report then if he went to that. We must find out what he thought about that. Yeah. Um, because the ad made, didn't, hadn't made it seem like it had happened yet, you know? What's Menace, anyway? Menace are a punk band from London from the 70s. GLC was their big tune. All right. See? Not, not that big, obviously. I just... <laughs> I've just lost like 10 70s punk rock points for not knowing that, you know. But I'm not sure they're listening to this, to be honest. 55-year-old. So go on then, let's uh, let's talk a wee bit about the whole fucking Slayer thing then, like, because the timing of it is bizarre, uh, to say the least, really, isn't it? It's like just, I mean, did you, you saw that kind of fake, I guess the fake meme which was Kerry King saying, ah, no one's yep. told me about that. My love. I mean, that can't have been, that must've been fake, right? Right. Yeah, that was bullshit. So, I mean, is he just, is he just, is it just all time perfectly to give the promo for his, from his point of view, for his solo album, a bit of a kick in the arse. And then, yeah, it's look, it's just player, half a million dollars, each two shows, no big deal. They managed to get like, it's very, 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 very seldomly do you see bands like it's not as if the Eagles got back together and the week beforehand they were talking about how much they didn't get on with each other in the press, you know. Is that true though? There's, isn't there lots of bands who've just buried the hatchet for the cash? Oh yeah, well like the, famously they don't get on or, you know, Fleetwood Mac and stuff, but they wouldn't publicly go out of their way to kind of say just before doing a reunion, oh by the way. You know, I don't get on with this guy. You know, that's on, that's only. I mean, has Tom's been fairly quiet, hasn't he? I don't think he has a lot to say. You know, so <laughs> no, no, maybe not. I, somebody posted something somewhere of him. It appeared to be like a, a sort of family WhatsApp video chat or something that somebody had filmed him. I just posted it online, and it appeared to be talking about something in Spanish about collecting the kids or something from school. And it was like, is this really necessary? 
as part of your... Oh, a little window into his life. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it, it does feel a bit like if they don't do it in the next couple of years, then basically... Are you gonna? Be, you're not gonna be like, oh, maybe we should reform and play Rain and Blood when you're 65. You know, I, mean, yeah. I, suppose, I suppose you could technically, but you have to replace the, the drumming constantly. You know. Yeah, but I think that would be something they wouldn't have an, a general issue with. Like, a, as long as Tom can sort of stand there and shout, you know, then they're kind of open to do it. So I'd say he'll probably do that until his health says otherwise. You know. Hmm. And uh, but they're but they're not going to make they're not going to make a. And um, and you, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like I said. I watched the last tour, the last show, and felt relatively hmm, okay. Fair enough about it. Um, wouldn't be that bothered about going to see it, but probably would. I don't know, really. Yeah, like I, I would assume it'll just be festivals. I couldn't imagine that they're going to come to Ireland or do. You know those kind of gig, those gigs. It'll probably just be headline whacking, headline health fest, whatever. You know. Did they play that fucking disaster of a festival that was down the middle of nowhere? Do you remember that somewhere in about like two thousand or something? There was like didn't system of a down a Slayer and playing a field. Somewhere. Oh no, the thing in Pun- Punchestown, Ozless Fest. Oh, that's that what it was? Like it was Ozfest, and then Ozzy never came. And they were giving out uh, free tickets on the way out to Brian Adams or Santana. Those were your options as an Aussie Aussie maniac. <laughs> well, what the fuck happened there? What was that about? I think it was just one of those things, kind of like where Aussie wasn't well or was whatever, and uh, did Donington the day before, and then they booked him like to play on the Sunday after playing at Donington on the Saturday, and he's was kind of never whatever, it was kind of never going to happen, was it? Yeah, Slayer were really good that day. Though that was the first time they'd kind of been back with the original lineup and stuff, right, and right. um. They're really, really good. But like uh, yeah, the rest of the bill it was like System of a Down and then Tool headlined and stuff. So Okay. We all went back to my sister's house and smoked joints. Sounds horrific. Yeah, I saw Slayer. I think they did a two night stand in the SFX. Was it maybe ninety eight, ninety nine? Yeah, it was. It was they, uh, whenever they did Diablos and Music, they did two gigs in the SFX. Yeah, uh, um, they were really, really good at that. Really, really excellent, I remember. But I never I, venue. It was just the SFX, two nights in the SFX, I think. But I, mean, like, I was saying, it's a, it's a good venue. Like it, It's a kind of shame that it's not there because it was really cool for metal anyway. St. Francis Xavier Hall. Um, I think it's still there as a building, but I don't know what it's used for. I mean, as my memory serves, it didn't have a bar or anything because it was like a religious hall or something, wasn't it? I don't remember ever like people having pints and stuff in it. Do you know uh, much about uh, Slayer's history of playing in Ireland? Had they done many shows? I know they played in 1988 with Nuclear Assault in Belfast yeah. and in, uh, in Dublin Pat. as well. Top Pat and Dunleary. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, they played in 94 for Divine Intervention. Because I remember that because we were recording the first Primordial album um, in Rama, literally at the time. And I couldn't go to that. It was on a Wednesday or something and I was supposed to be tracking. It was them and a machine head, wasn't it? That's it. I was tracking vocals on our two, uh, what did we have? A half-inch reel machine and two hired eight tracks connected to a half-inch reel machine and no outboard sound effects or delays or anything because we couldn't figure out how to get any of them working. So all of them are are, uh, guitar delay. There you go. Just use the guitar pedal. Yeah, pretty much. 
instead of uh, anything else. And all the singing was just one take because we couldn't figure out how to drop things in. Anyway, so <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, it's costing fourteen hundred pounds. And we thought the that's the thing, isn't it? Like back then, it costs so much to make these kind of extremely primitive recordings now, where you could just do it in about twenty minutes in the house, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, it was that was on the Wednesday, and I, I remember the drummer of Prim, uh, Primordial. This is before he was in Primordial, Simon, who I went to school with. If I'm not incorrect, he got stabbed at that gig with a syringe full of blood. And had to go and get um, have an AIDS test. Welcome to Dublin, nineteen ninety four. Shit! And, I, and you can imagine how terrifying that was. Like, and you guys were probably like, "All right, okay. Well, are you all right? Don't don't I, touch I, me." I heard that people were being uh, cut with uh, razor blades in the pit with, uh, and stuff. Um, well, this is fucking. T- I went to go and see Placebo in nineteen ninety six, and there were people with syringes as that. So. Really? Yeah, it's one of these things like where you just hear about these archaic fucking like um talking to uh again my mate is friends with John uh John Christ from Danzig or whatever and I was okay. talking to him about you know whenever Metallica played in the Antrim Forum back in the day. because uh, I went up to visit it there with my mate uh Chris, you know, where Megadeth had the riot and all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Back, back in the land. Anyway, but uh he was saying that yeah, the Danzig shows were just constant spitting like the spitting was just absolutely insane you know yeah i see i saw anthrax got spat off the stage i saw was that the show anthrax got spat off the stage in 89 actually um oh hang on this yeah. one second okay where am i seeing this oh yeah anthrax a9 um yep it was about five or six songs in they played metal thrashing mad I, and Gong Ho and Madhouse, I was pretty chuffed. They're like my three favorite songs. And there was people, yeah, there was like about 30, 40 punks in the middle, just constantly spitting. And then Scotty was just like, right, that's it, one more time. And they just went, okay, fuck you, we're off. And they just walked off. And then there was a huge fight between the punks and like fucking hundreds of metalheads. Um, just all sorts of fucking chaos. But they never came back out. It was, yeah, Anthrax, uh, 89, top out. So they had played, I, th- I think it was the night previously, or maybe it was the night after, they played in Oma St. Enda's GAA Hall Oof. as part of, again, I don't know. Like, you kind of have to wonder, like, they played Bangor, Oma, Dublin, whatever. So same as kind of the Antrim Forum thing. There was so many bombs going off in Belfast City Centre back in the day that there was a lot of oh, these yeah. bands were like, okay, let's just go and play this provincial hall. People will run buses to it or whatever. Yeah. yeah, so they played Oma the night uh, before or after, and exactly the same thing. They got spat off after about six songs, you know. It was just, it's such a, it was such a left a hangover from the sort of punk scene. And that was sort of punk's last stand in the metal scene, because they certainly weren't interested in death metal or anything like that. That's sort of the, the, the last few big thrash bands were the kind of the end of that. I don't remember ever seeing it into 1990, 91. Um, yeah, well, I was going to ask you, like, if you think about going to see, like, Creator and Death or, like, Megadeth and Panther or whatever, like, was there any spitting at those gigs or had it totally phased no. out by then? I know, like, Wasp and, like, Z- Zad Yargo, who were supporting them in 89, got serious spitting, apparently. Look. There are people, I mean, I think bands who basically sucked, who supported somebody, got a bit of house. I remember people flicking pennies at Frank Blackfire when Creator played. Um, the lads around me. Who were like we only want literally only wanted to hear uh, 
death is your savior and command of the blade and stuff as if those people could somehow exist <laughs> that they but they were but were there who found Frank Black. But see, now, I think as well, dude. Though it, it's not, it, it's certainly not a thing where it was all from a point of view of people spitting because there were punks and they hated it. Like it was also somehow seen as a sign of affection because there's a picture of Cliff Burton doing his bass solo in you know the Ulster Hall in 1989. You can see all the kind of rain of spit. You know? Um. Yes and no. I think. I think it was a hangover from late seventies, early eighties punk, um, which just sort of. I mean, it's, I'm pretty sure it was never part of the new wave of British heavy metal scene of the early eighties. That's for fucking sure. And as those people, those old punks sort of liked speed and thrash metal a bit because it was fast and energetic, and the tickets hadn't been hadn't priced them out of attending. Um, I think it just they just kept on spitting at the bands, and then they were also like, "Well, fuck it, we're not that interested in." whoever the support band might be, uh, fuck them, yeah. the kind of thing, you know? And certainly the vibe was that that Anthrax show was like punks against metalheads. Um, the punks were like, we don't give a shit about whether you play or you don't play. <clears throat> we paid six quid to get in or eight quid to get in. Fuck you, we're going to spit at you, you know what I mean? The guy, um, the guy from The Undertones, the drummer in his book, was saying that they'd played a show in Uri and some, again, GA all. And... Um, like, yeah, they said that there was tons of spitting, but, like, it was from punks who were, like, having a great time, but they thought that this was some sort of part of, like, the the vibe was that you were supposed to spit at the bands. Um, show off. I, I could imagine this in the late 70s, early 80s, yeah. I mean, I don't remember people spitting at Sepultura or Creator or um, even Slayer or, you know, I don't remember people spitting. It, something was happening at that, it's happening at that Anthrax show that was quite specific. I'm not sure whether the support band um, had like punk mates or something who a whole bunch of them had like scraped in for five quid or something. They were just like, we're going to run amok. It was, quite, it had it was that a predator or something like that, I guess, wouldn't it? Be? It, it might have been Dream Creeper um, is the name that pops into my head, who were, I think, a sort of scuzzy, speedy, um, punky kind of band. And I mean, who knows? Maybe fucking 25 of their mates managed to sneak in for the sound check and were just running them. But that's what it felt like. It did, And, you know, they were kind of well-known punks from the scene at the time who never would have paid into a metal show. But it, it we'll did... Stick a, we'll stick the link on for the video for the Oma show is on YouTube. So really? you can watch the whole thing. Yeah, and you can watch them. Like, Joey, Joey Baldona singing Metal Thrash and Mad and, like, a Lug hits him right in the face and he's kind of like, okay, stop the show, you know? Yeah, well, that's pretty much bang on where it happened in Dublin. We just got to the end of Metal Thrash and Mad. Um, like I said, my one of my top three Anthrax songs. And um, that video is a video from Germany, 86 or something, 85. The insane one with all the stage diving. Uh, it was yeah, one of my favorite videos when I was a kid. That was like Metal Hammer. Yeah, and like, it's one of those things I had to buy all the, it's kind of the same as, you know, the Dark Angel nuclear assault one. It would always be released on separate VHSs. So, had to buy the Agent Steel VHS, you know, the Anthrax VHS, and the Overkill one all separately, you know. Um, and I see Agent Steel are confirmed for Eindhoven Metal Meeting this year, and the big question that's tearing everyone apart is, is obviously your uh, who's on the bass? Is it you? Who will be on? Who will be on all these instruments? Watch <laughs> out for your nearest tattoo studio in case <laughs> you're going down to get a giant tattoo on your forehead. Look, yeah. So, mm, so he's, he, he kept that a mystery. Could be me, might not be me. Who knows? 
Um, they were doing some gigs in uh, the Netherlands there before Christmas, by all accounts, but I didn't really hear too much. Yeah, some guy from Death was playing bass for them, uh, who played on Symbolic and some other stuff of that nature. Really? Yeah. Oh, hell. Right, okay, well. Symbolic. Scott Carino or something? Or is it Symbolic, not, is symbolic not Steve DiGiorgio? I'd, who knows? Certainly, it was definitely not Steve DiGiorgio. I think he would have enough sense to be all like, you know what? I think I'm going to avoid this situation. <laughs> if there's some sort of... Yeah. Um, but yeah, all this... All the fucking, I don't remember spitting in the early 90s. Um, like I said, the punks kind of would prefer, rather stay outside the gig and try to beat people up and steal their money and t-shirts and stuff. They weren't really that interested in going inside. Maybe the odd time for Carcass or Bolt Thrower. But I still Maybe don't. from the, the danger fields, Andy Griswold was like... Yeah, we had tickets for Slayer and uh, Nuclear Assault in Belfast, and like literally when we're standing in the queue, two punks come up to us and beat us up and took our tickets, and we just had to go home. Oh yeah, and people don't. Be, I mean, Dublin early nineties, um, nineteen ninety, ninety one, ninety two was fucking mayhem. You'd see lads would come up the country to go to the gig, stand in the middle of the street with like a bloody nose, no t shirt on because they'd have their t shirt robbed, no runners because they started rob people, robbing people's runners in their socks. Or just standing in McDonald's just with, like, blood all over the faces. Because uh, some of the elder punks had just fucking come up, giving them a slap. Gives your runners, gives your ticket, gives your shirt. And, like, you used to have to be super wary of whoever was standing on every corner. Um, I think I only got one fucking kick in the head, maybe once or twice. But, um, yeah, it was mayhem, 91. And then, basically, Exodus came into Dublin early 92, mid-92, and everything just died down. Literally, all of those cunts just drifted into the dance ecstasy scene. Um, and also the promoters, what happened is the promoters stopped bringing over bands in 91, 92, because there was so much money in ecstasy and dance music that all of a sudden there was no more, there was no more metal gigs until you got like one typo negative gig, one machine head gig or some crappy underground tiny little gig we were doing or something. But there was none of them. None, nobody was coming. No Warmer Angel, no Death, no Cox, no... It's been a crazy situation, though, because like, places like the Olympic Ballroom or wherever, these old venues in Dublin, were then putting on shows where there was no bar, and there were people just, like, you know, paying in on the door and not drinking anything and drinking, wa or drinking water and taking pills, yeah. and you were only having to pay a DJ, and instead yeah. of having to, you know, have a whole crew of people in, you were just doing it well, what they, a fraction of the price. What they, of course, were doing is they were, of course, buying the pills for the Bar or for the security, the bouncers to sell at the door, and that's how they were making tons and tons of money. But literally, all those little tiny promoters just step sideways into dance music. Um, so there was nobody to bring over Bolt Thrower and Carcass and Deicide and whatever else. And all the heads who were just and all the fighting, it just kind of stopped. I mean, it was still there in the streets normally anyway on a Saturday night or whatever, but specifically having to watch getting your head kicked in outside the gig wasn't happening because. Like I said, A, there was no more gigs, and B, everybody had gone sideways into fucking ecstasy, you know, into drug music. And even then, that scene by 95, 96, I think, got completely fucked because people realized how much money there was in it. So that it, it had about like a two or three summer of love, and then the heavies and fucking bigger drug dealers and the cops started really cracking down on it, you know? Yep. Going absolutely bananas. But Which is where Dublin still is these days, because if you go out in O'Connell Street at about two o'clock in the morning, you may keep your fucking wits about you. <laughs> um, I don't think it's as bad as it was, certainly in the early to mid-90s, but um, it goes through phases 
where it seems more hairy than not. Like during the, at the kind of lockdown eased, it was fucking wild. There was just wildness going on. It'll, and now all the little cunts have scooters. So yeah. there's a, a whole different kind of fucking stuff. What going. happened your man from Lama God? He was like staying down in the keys near the point or whatever and got slapped yeah. off, didn't he? He was basically going around with a big expensive camera. He decided, obviously he was a photographer or whatever, and he was taking, he was around some local side street taking some sort of, you know, oh my God, you know, um, beautiful pictures of the working class and their natural environment kind of thing. And then some lads in, on a few bikes went by him, seeing what he was doing, and then circled around and fucking battered him and took his camera kind of thing. I think he realized, because I think he said something contritional during the show. Um, that was Meg with Megadeth, right? Uh, I didn't see the gig, but... Um... Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, I tried to time it to, as much, to, to miss as much of them as possible before just coming in for Megadeth, but caught the butt some of Lamb of God, and it was... Uh, he was making some sort of speech, which he seemed a bit embarrassed about, because it, it seemed to I be. I think that exact same thing happened at that uh, last Slayer show, because I remember sitting about in the smoking garden for ages after Anthrax, like you know, and then going in and seeing that he was having some sort of waffle and being like, "Okay, right." Yeah, I, I do. So I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know anything really much about Lamb of God. Only that I know, I don't. It's not my thing. Um, I mean, I know younger metal fans love them and stuff, but I was trying to time it to miss as much of it as possible. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it, like again, it's a, it's just a, not of our generation, really. I suppose, is it, man? You know, no, not really. But it's um, yeah. So that's what happened. I mean, it was just when you used to go to those shows. I mean, I remember me and my mate climbing out um, a fucking fire escape somewhere. We're at some gig, um, Oi Poloi, maybe Pleasant Valley Children. Some kind of a narco punk gig it might have been ninety one, ninety two, and having to go out the window of the back of the toilets down the fire escape and like running across the room with like eight, nine old punks chasing us. Thankfully, then I was quite, you know, I've been playing lots of hockey and football, and they were all weighed down by their bullet belts and chains and you know bags of glue or whatever was going on and Doc Martens, and there wasn't any way they were catching me and my mate. But yeah, they chased us for a good. <laughs> Oh, the good old days of... Uh, Back uh, in the win. <laughs> where every fucking gig in 1990, 91, 92 somehow seemed to turn out like that. Like I said, then it just like stopped. Like I remember you, we used to go, we used to get the bus across to uh, Malahide Scout Hall to go and see trash bands in like 89. And there'd always be like some sort of a... Would that have been like Moral Crusade and whatnot? Moral Crusade or something like that. There'd always be like some sort of... Um, I think the the precursor of the band Ogre, maybe um, there was like a grind band from Dublin called Ogre, early nineties. Um, no, yeah, well, um, I remember them being not so, but anyway, they were from Malahide, so we used to go and see them when we were like fourteen, and there'd always be some trouble. Imagine that trouble in the burbs, huh? Back in the white cider days. Like, I suppose, I don't know, maybe if kids are still, I very much doubt it that there's 14-year-olds still out doing that, but that was whenever we would have been growing up, that was the number one contact, really, with booze, wasn't it? Like, was a flag like in white cider down a lane? Like. Well, we it also used to be our train station, where we grew up in, let's say, 89, 90, um, our little gang was sort of trashers, and there'd be 15, 20 of us, and, Ho and um, Hoth and stuff. And the next train station, they were sort of like um, into Northern Seoul and Ska. So oh, you, yeah. 
made friends with them to form a sort of an alliance against Braxu heads and Fleckies or Trackies or whatever you want to call it. So we had our mini alliance. So you'd be down the beach with the, you know, the little, little radio player. <clears throat> and you might be listening to like Ride the Lightning and the next thing you'll come out would be like the specials or something, you know. So I had this, awesome. had this kind of, you know, kind of um, um, secret, um, you know, admiration for the bit of specials every now and again and stuff. What were you drinking then at the beach in those days? Beach would have been flagons of like, um, as you say, some sort of awful cider. Um, and then you'd have other people were doing, uh, you know, awful stuff like Tipex thinners on your jacket and Lovely. stuff. <laughs> and that never really appealed to me, no, but, you know, just flagons of cider. It was and... part of the scene as well. I remember that was a big thing, like, uh, whenever I was growing up, was loads of the punks I knew were all super into solvents, look in them. Solvents. Well, yeah, I mean, we used to see that all the time in the 80s, uh, the huff in the bag of uh, paint, paint in the gl- in the bag, you know. And you say that to people now, and they're like, "When?" And I go, oh, "I'm 1991," uh, as if you're talking about 1974 or something like this, you know. It made a brief comeback. It was like a sort of hipster thing about 15 years ago. I was like, "What the fuck?" Really? Uh, a little gang. Well, I guess some version of it because I used to go, go to Glastonbury a lot until quite recently, and I thought you would always see those little uh, canisters of helium. Yeah, what's that? All about? the kids were ins- insanely into taking helium because you get like super dizzy and high for whatever, like a minute or two or whatever. It's kind of like um, what's that? Um, there's a kind of planty version of it that is escaping my brain right now. Is that not something? But, uh, is that not something like footballers were doing as well, or something? They're like little canisters or something. You see them everywhere, no? These are like like super tiny little compressed air canisters that you would have used for putting into your soda jet back in the 80s to carbonate your favorite beverage. Like oh, milk. yeah. What, what was that called again? That fucking thing. Um, that made soda that... Stream. Soda stream. Anyway, but um, I can't even remember how we started talking about this. But yeah, that was a... That kind of thing is massive with uh, young people these days. I was going to wheel out a soda stream memory and you fucking cut me off there and all the kids were waiting okay. for me. My soda... Well, my soda anecdote, my mate Shane, who was a bit posher than all the rest of us, he used to actually have a soda stream, but he had flavours that none of the rest of us had. So you'd go to his house and you'd sort of have to lurk around the machine just in case his mum came down and be like, oh, do you want to try a raspberry soda stream? And this was... They even had a video player. Imagine that. Us. Yeah. Did they have a B-Day in their house, did they? They didn't, no. B-Day. Tis yeah. far from B-Days you were rare. B-Day. Yeah, I mean, that's not an Irish thing, is it? No, nah, not really, but it was just a very middle-class thing to have back in the day, like, wasn't it? I yeah. don't have a memory of having middle-class friends who had B-Days. I mean, that could you be... I was thinking they're funny. Uh, see, like, uh, we're going to talk about this, and we'll probably leave it for another episode or whatever, but... Um, it's funny, whenever you were talking about the misfits there earlier on, and you know that I got something to say, isn't yeah. it crazy that like something that appeared on a Metallica EP is like bigger than anything that they've ever done themselves? Like, um, not really, but I know what you mean. I mean, I, by then, of course, the misfits were gone, so the misfits were finished in what 83, um, and they were kind of done, and they were you know considered a classic band, but I don't think any bigger than. Black Flag or Minor Threat. Probably. I think it was definitely one of those kind of things like The Refused or whatever, where the like whenever they were around, there wasn't an insane amount of attention being paid to them compared yeah. to what 
Yeah, I mean, I still think they would probably do an all right, you know, put, you know, 600, 800, 900 kids in some places here and there. But there were phenomena that was within that genre, um, more or less. And then I think it really took James and Cliff wearing the shirts and obviously Garage Days to just break them into this other audience. And then, of course, everybody trying to get their records everywhere in the mid 80s, you know. I used to have fucking five or six of the original work records um, and swap them in like 1994 fucking just really bland thrash metal records that um i wanted at the time <clears throat> and i thought oh no, i'll get the misfits records again and of course you know yeah. it's not it's not difficult but to it, get reading a funny thing about that um the original garage uh days ep was that um because you know metallica uh master puppets on vertigo had done really well in the uk and shipped nearly a million copies they said that because Metallica were booked to play Masters of uh, Monsters of Rock, sorry, in Donington in 1987, they said if you bring out an EP to coincide with that, you're probably guaranteed to sell a couple of hundred thousand copies of it at least or whatever. Yeah. So Vertigo, uh, their UK label, said that they were on for totally fronting them going in to record a couple of cover versions, and they just said, right, okay, that's a good idea. And that's, that's kind of how it came about, you know. It is a brilliant EP. It's one of my favorite uh, sounding Metallica records. I mean, I love. Oh, I think it's 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 amazing because it's one of those things that, like, I used to say to people all the time, oh, "I love Jason Newstead's tone in the eighties," and I think that's a joke. But if you listen to the bass tone on the Garage Inc. EP and the Flotsam and Jetsam yeah, yeah. first record, his, oh, his bass tone's actually great. Like, you know, oh, no doubt about it, and especially the the whole tone of Garage um, days. It just sounds great. The guitar tone is snappy. Vocals on Killer, Crash Course and Brain Surgery. I mean, yep. I'm still confused by the songs. Like, The Weight, Killing Joke is such a weird song. But it works so brilliantly. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's really, really good. Like, so, I was really... Some of those songs like that, I, I, I couldn't believe like that or, uh, worked so well. Or there's another really weird one as well, isn't there? What is it? Oh, uh, was, yeah. yeah. That was... that. Was, I, but, like, it feels kind of like a... A companion piece to Master of Puppets, really, doesn't it? Feels like a companion piece to think uh, it should not be, or oh, that song particularly. But yeah, no, I think it's it's fucking, it's absolutely fucking great. One of my favourite Metallica records. Um, and there was always that mystery that you heard, like, why is it a revisited? Like, you didn't understand the title properly. You're like, is there an original Garage Days, Garage Days? You know what I mean, kind of thing? And there was, and that was the cool thing. Like, I remember going back and, like, again, like, because we're kind of, we're interested about talking about EPs and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. The previous one, the uh, uh, the original Creep and Death EP was that was a great one to find because again, it was so hard to get like find them on vinyl and then getting these B sides that you'd never heard before was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Creek and the Prince and stuff. Um, I have quite a lot of metallic EPs, um, but we will leave that conversation. We were going to do um, a, a whole chat about the glory of the. The 1980s heavy metal EP, which was like a, always a stepping stone after your debut or after your second album onto something else, you know. Although the B side of Jump in the Fire is certainly not live. It doesn't sound live at all, does it? No, it's like if you go on uh, the box set on Spotify, you can go and check it out. And they've got the studio versions of those tracks that they, you know, used for the live ones. Pretty good. So what, what? they did was... Um, you know, whenever they recorded a bunch of demos for Ride the Lightning and they yeah. recorded the uh, the live tracks of Jump, uh, Phantom Lord and Seek and Destroy for that yeah. EP on there as well, you know. All oh, right. So they're just demo 
versions of the songs for Ride the Lightning, are they? Yeah, there's kind of a couple of famous demos for Ride the Lightning, like yeah, yeah. Uh, when Hell Freezes Over and stuff that they yeah, did in the yeah. studio. Really and it was the same day, same day they did those. They went in and um, and did uh, did the um, the tracks for the EP, the Jump in the Fire. And again, that was because they were going to Europe with um, Denim. So their label, Music for Nation, said, "If you're going to come over, you're going to have to have like an EP out or something to kind of promote the tour." Yeah, I mean, and that Hell when Hell Freeze Over demo, that's an amazing demo. Um, and it must be available as a bootleg record, is it, or somewhere? The demo, the version of Five Power Fire is fucking lethal on it. I remember. It's really good, yeah. It's, uh, and it's a, it's one of those things that like it's so cool now that, that Metallica are kind of sponsoring all those things coming out in an official way and the best quality. Because back in the day, you would be going down to what was that place down on the Keys in Dublin, the oh. big yellow place that was full of bootlegs. You could get anything really you wanted in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there used to be the cassette tapes on the bridge, um, which I still wish yeah. I had. My I had like you know Metallica eighty eight, Slayer eighty eight, had a whole bunch of them, um, and. Fuck knows where it was they kind are. of a tradition, wasn't it? Like you would go to a show in Dublin, and then the next day you would get up and go down to the place, and they would have the have it on tape already. You know, yeah, Metallica. Yeah, and I remember a couple of them would sound fucking great. You know, um, I had a whole bunch of those. Yeah, there was. I mean, me and my mate Carl used to meet early nineties. We meet on a Saturday about ten a.m. and we would do the ten to about three or four, and we'd troll around every record store in the whole city just looking for things and. You had about 15 places to go. There were even side alley shops which just had crates of bootlegs where you get greetings from my guts, captor or sin. And I, for whatever reason, back then, I was just like, oh, I'm not really that interested in captors of sin, like Slayer bootlegs. Of course, I had the cassette of it, but it's like, oh, I don't know. Seems a bit expensive because it was like, they were like 10 quid. And yep. you think, oh, say, give me a time machine and I could go back and, you know had those original captor of sins from the 80s and greetings from my guts and stuff but yeah what are you gonna do yeah and i, I don't know i think as well there's a whole the new generation of people who'd be super excited about slayer getting uh, back together i don't know if there's a huge amount of them that would be interested in that kind of stuff you know well if you notice if, if you look at slayer spotify they started to throw up loads and loads of old gigs and i'm sure there's that, you know, like um, San Diego 84, Sacramento or something. I remember having that um, Altar of Sacrifice bootleg 86 and stuff. And they're, they've just thrown a whole load of them up. And if you sift through them, there's a few brilliant ones from um, 84 and 85. I had an amazing one which using the Halloween theme as an intro. And they were playing bits of songs from Hello Waits, but the Hello Waits wasn't out <laughs> yet. And you could kind of tell they hadn't quite formed their ideas. So there's all sorts of other things. I have the, actually the bootleg of the first ever gig uh, with Brilliant Sound, which has all that Ice Titan and, you know, all the songs that didn't make Show No Mercy. There's about three on it from the... Because it was actually something we, we talked about. It's weird that this is now the 20th, or sorry, not 20th, fucking 40th anniversary yeah. of Show of No Mercy. Let's you talk know. about. Ta-da. Um, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because we, December 83, was it? It came out. I'm not, maybe, I'm not sure about December. I think I think it was, because I remember looking this up to see Kill Em All come out in like July 83, Show No Mercy, December 83, and then Fistful of Metal was January 84. We did this all, already, and I'm sure eagle-eyed viewers of the um, of the podcast will be like, oh, yeah, guys, you already did that, because they'll have memorized all 
of the things that we said before, obviously, right? White. Um, oh, look at this. December the 3rd, 1983. Fucking hell. I know things. Check out the big brain on Brad. Uh, There's a 90s reference from Alan. <laughs> Very rare to hear these guys. We should flag them. Anytime yeah. they come up. Um, July the 5th, 25th, 1983 uh, is Kill em All. There you go. So, but yeah, like, um, obviously, it's one of those things that, like, I guess all those bands look down on their debuts a little bit. Like, it's it's rare to hear anyone from Slayer saying anything really kind of positive about the first album, isn't it? I guess it's because they were still at the time eyeliner, inverted cross, fake blood. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, oh, well, now we kind of toned all that down and are just, you know. Yeah, I suppose they just maybe they saw it as a bit goofy. Kill 'em all is it's a bit is less goofy in a way than Show No Mercy, and goofy is not the right word because it's fucking amazing. But um, maybe it's by the time it's a carry on from Venom, though, isn't it? Like it takes its hat so directly from Venom that like you can see, it just so happens to be musically really excellent, you know. But like I think it's one of those albums that, like obviously image wise, they were taking their entire cue from being like, what would Kronos? do right now you know you can see the moment where obviously slayer heard venom because before that they're wearing bumblebee tops and they're doing like side to side stuff and then all of a sudden it's inverted crosses and nails and stuff and you're like and it always used to and it still pisses me off when people claim it in the name of punk because they weren't into punk yet you can see this is just total it's priest on meth it's iron maiden twin guitars it's venom there's no the punk bit kind of comes a little bit after because but there's still inverted crosses and nails and like Black eyeliner and all this kind of stuff. Sean yeah, kind of one of the th- one of the important things I think about it is um, the guy Bill Matoyer who produced. Oh yeah, I met him. Record. Yeah, yeah. Like he actually ended up producing a ton of really, really influential records, and he kind of before he oh. did this, he he'd done a couple of demos. He did the Abattoir Screams from the Grave demo and okay. the Armored Saint demo that got got them signed to CBS. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. He'd done a bit of that kind of stuff, and then he made the first DRI record, um, and then this was the next thing that he did after after DRI. Right, interesting, interesting. And it sounds nothing like the first DRI, but yeah, he also did Trouble. He did. I met him once actually somewhere in LA. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, I, I have you seen what's in that 40th anniversary box, or is there lots of other stuff? It looks amazing. The gold box. No, I haven't. I, I have no idea. I mean, uh, what's in it? So give us a. Is it like obviously a remaster of the original album, but have they got any like sort of studio I, demos or anything cool? I have no idea actually. I, I have to put on my glasses again and look at the contents. But like I haven't bought it or anything. Um, I'm a bit, I feel a bit weird about buying some of those now, um, you know, box set things of things I already. I already have. I, really, I like going and checking that stuff out like uh, on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, but. Like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I have a copy of Master of Puppets and Vinyl. I don't really need to go and buy some sort of Eric, you know, reissue affair, you know, that they used to do with yeah. all their records. So it appears to be 80 euro limited edition, 40th, 40th anniversary edition with slip mat, poster flyer, signing card and an LP booklet mastered from the original. OK, so there's no demos or bonus stuff. Um, yeah, see, that sucks. And, like, you know, you see this happening again all the time with someone like Metallica because they can afford to get a bunch of cool 
researchers there to get on the case and find good stuff. But, but I think what happens with bands like Slayer and Megadeth is the albums get reissued with kind of poultry extras, you know. Poultry or poultry. But the problem is... <laughs> yeah. But the, those Slayer demos do appear on one of those box sets. Is it War, the Warfield, or... No. There's a Slayer box set, which is a double, you know, like a kind of spanning the career of. And the first two CDs are fucking golden. And then as soon as he hit about 1991, it just fucking turns to rubbish. Um, but the, the demos, like, and there's some really obscure stuff that's on the end of the first disc or something. Um, it's on, again, on Spotify. Listen to it. It sounds great. They, I mean, they could have put those on it, the demos, you know. Maybe that just would have meant you had to press another disc then, I guess. I don't know. Do you know much about the Show No Mercy tour that they did, like, in 1984? No, not really. Tell me about it. Do you know about it? Yes, I know things. Uh, so apparently it was a very family affair. So they got like, you know, Tom Rez, like brother and like sister and like Harry King's siblings and stuff came on to do the lights and stuff. And they would just go travel around in a Winnebago going around places. But they they didn't know that they were supposed to go and pick up the rest of the fee from the venue. So they would just go and play the gig and then leave. And like it wasn't until they got home that like Bill Matoyer, who was managing them and Brian Slagle were kind of like, uh, you guys were supposed to pick up X hundred bucks at every single gig you played, and you didn't do it at any of them. Like you know, how many gigs they play, or who are they playing with? Because you know that the Metallica legend is always the gigs with Raven and stuff. Was they just mooching around on their own, or what were they doing? Yeah, like you know, obviously, whenever you got into nineteen eighty five, they were doing like a whole bunch more stuff with uh, um, Exodus and Venom and stuff. But in eighty four. So like a it like the um, like the tour started at the start of nineteen eighty four. So they were just doing stuff like with, you know, LA bands like Savage Grace and stuff like that, and then they oh, went over to the West Coast. Nine Metal and... Meeting, by the way. Oh, they're playing Nindhoven Metal Meeting yeah. as well. Working. Oh my God, man! Yeah. I would love to see that. That'll be amazing or horrifying or maybe a little uh, both. So I see. Uh, University Tour eighty three. I see lots of old T shirts which look very tasty, but I don't see a single tour poster telling me who they're playing. Yeah, it's kind of like the same as the Kill em All tour. It would have just been individual shows in a row, like, you know, so there'd be a lot of stuff in California and then they would have done a trip out to New York and stuff. But, the, like, they definitely played the, um, was the Ultimate Revenge filmed at the end of 84, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Exodus Slayer and then, um, Venom, that might even be 1985, was it? Because that's the Possessed tour with I Venom. I Warhead and stuff was out around then, wasn't it? Venom was, Venom didn't like the way their show turned out, so they refused to have their show put on the Enterum Revenge. That's why they have just interviews and then uh, which an hour done on the stage with no crowd, because they didn't like the way it was filmed. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure, I have a shirt which is Venom and Exodus somewhere, and it's 85. So I presume that's the fucking um, <clears throat> possession tour. I could look it up, but I mean, that would just mean me putting on my glasses for the fifth time in 10 minutes, you know. Nobody wants that. I don't think that, like, it's kind of one of those things that, like, whatever Slayer's impact that they had in 1984, like, you know, with the album coming out, uh, it wasn't kind of as immediate as Metallica, where they were immediately over in Europe playing, you know, shows a couple of months later kind of thing. Yeah, I, I I think that Slayer's first 
trips were yeah they weren't for show no mercy to europe they were more likely no, what yeah it would have been 85 so it would have been uh, i guess at haunting the chapel kind of era i know they played there's one there's the first i think europe. is belgium uh some belgian festival and it's online you can watch it and i think that's early i think that's 85 because they opened with hella weights at that fucking show so uh, and they played the Dynamo Club and all sorts of other things, Belgium and Holland and they stuff. Played the Marquee in um, in London with Adam Craft supporting them. Oh, yeah. like in this is like a classic support band thing that people would do in the eighties. Would be it was like quality over quantity. So after two songs, Adam Craft all took out sledgehammers and destroyed all their equipment, and everyone was this is amazing. And I think they got their record deal because of it. You know. Atom Craft and, and Slayer, yeah, some, maybe that's a that's a very niche podcast, isn't it? And it just devoted to Atom Craft, you know? Yep, that's it. Uh, up on Atom Craft, lads. Uh, yeah, they're just one of those bands, I guess, that like they, they were definitely more of a new wave of British heavy metal band, but because Thrash was so popular at the time, like they just sort of kind of like Raven, they got to promote it in that way, you know? Um, yeah, and also like fucking warfare and stuff, you know. Are you drinking out? The thing is, Adam Craft had a way better crack at the whip, so to speak, because um, your man's brother, um, Jed Wolf or whatever the drummer, his brother was uh, in Venom and manage or manage Venom and stuff, so he got them on the the Exodus uh, European tour with Venom in nineteen eighty five, and then. I think they did a nuclear assault tour with Agent Steel in 87 and then did another tour with Nasty Savage and Exumer. Eric Cook, right? Because that's what EC, ECTV, <laughs> that, you know, the show that was on te- television for a while, which is Eric Cook TV, which has mm-hmm. fucking Venom on it and fucking Mammoth Boys were on it as well. And um, loads of fucking really good stuff. Uh, what's that crazy motorcycle, guys? What is that again? Um, the Mad oh, Max looking fellas. Yeah, it's brilliant, man. We're going to do this at some stage. We'll have to do our special where we're going to watch uh, the Neat Metal City video and uh, the Laurely Rock Live one. I mean, it's if we can just figure out how to do how to do it as a watch along, you know. You think by now, um, you know, some of our eagle-eyed listeners would be able to help us with the techni- technical, <laughs> you know. I'm sure you know how to do it. I don't have a clue. I'll come down to the dungeon and we'll just do it live. Um, man, what do you hear this for another Belfast Loves Glam? The Bullet Boys are playing their first ever show in Ireland in Belfast and they're not coming to Dublin. Like <laughs> Smooth up in here. And I'd say they'll get like 500 people in Belfast. If they if they brought it down here, it would get like 100, maybe 75. Belfast it's Loves Glam. It's just such... Yeah, there's just something about that. And like also bands like Y&T and Raven playing Belfast, but not Dublin. Like, that's strange, isn't it? But, yeah, but bands like Winger and stuff, and yeah, like you said, um, Bullet Boys is so Belfast, which is bizarre. If you were a Bullet Boys fan of Belfast in 1989, you've waited 35 years to see them. It's... Yep, them and enough's is enough. <laughs> <laughs> chips enough how do, how i mean that's a whole other podcast how the fuck was that stuff popular in belfast in the 1980s is beyond me but well, mr been? big and living color is sold out in belfast apparently so it is and not in dublin so there you go. no no i saw that yeah the advertisements for it in dublin and it probably i'm not sure that it will sell out 
There you go. <laughs> it will, we may end this section on one of the great mysteries of life. Why uh, glam rock was so big in Belfast and not in Ireland or not in Dublin. We, we will find out, though, for you, dear listeners. <laughs>